0: Hello again, Tyler. Good to uh good to see you. And uh yeah, another episode of the Pleasantly Persistent Podcast. And uh we're psyched to have you today. Uh so yeah, give us a brief intro and we'll we'll get in there.
1: Sounds good. Hey Matt and Christy, happy to be here. Uh so yeah, I'm Tyler Smith. I'm the president and owner of Newhall Klein or NK. Um We're a design, brand strategy, and integrated marketing agency for food service manufacturers and distributors. Uh, So we've been in business since 1989. Uh, I've been with us for 13 years this month, actually, which is hard to believe. Um, Some background on the company. So when we started in 89, our our founder, Sandy Klein, and my former partner, we really got our start working with Gordon Food Service, uh, developing their private label portfolio of brands and helping them uh, execute a corporate rebrand. So that really established our foothold in the food service vertical from an early start, again, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, Since then, we've continued to work with a number of broadline distributors in that space and then uh, other membership-driven organizations and buying groups, and of course, the supplier and manufacturer community, which is where we're focused now. Uh, is really helping those brands grow in the food service segment.
0: So is the typical brand a brand, a re- a brand who's doing retail and like entering into food service? All right, I'm glad to yes, it makes more, more interesting conversation. So well, please, both. Is it, it is global. Both.
1: Both. So yeah, both. it's um what we're finding now, especially is yeah, it's it's brands that are in retail, CPG, looking to get into food service and maybe don't know where to start. They don't have that level of specialized expertise or it's a long established food service manufacturer who maybe hasn't invested heavily in marketing historically and has relied on distributor relationships, but now recognize a need to own more of that relationship directly with the operator or the buyer.
0: So the brand who has been focused on retail and they're ready to get their ducks in a row, their marketing ducks in a row to enter food service, and they're like, well, we have our like deck and our sell sheet for retail. Like what do, what do they usually need to get equipped with? Or like what shifts from their retail deck and sell sheet to food service for size and what the highlight? No, it's a loaded question, but it's interesting.
1: Yeah, no, the um, the deck or, I mean, the sell sheet is really critical. So really it comes down to the message and that's, that's really where it starts. So we look at a brand and they're, their entire brand construct, but importantly, we look at the product itself. Where does it play best in food service? Is this something that is an ingredient for a chef to use in a restaurant kitchen? Is this something that's suited for grab and go and let's say a CNU environment uh, or healthcare cafeteria? Is this well-suited for children in a K through 12 environment? So really matching the brand and the product with the pain point uh, of the buyer. And then articulating that message because the the message used to communicate to the home shopper will be very different than what the commercial r- restaurant buyer cares about, for instance. So um, creating that message on a, on a sell sheet, you know, the sell sheet is one expression of that, but it's an important one because we need to be able to hand that off to brokers like yourself and distributors and et cetera.
0: How long should a sell sheet be? What's too long? What's too short? What's the sweet spot in general?
1: and then deck as well. Yeah, it's a good, I don't know if there's a magic bullet on that. I mean, if it's a one product, um, I, one page, you know, front and back would be fine. If we're talking about a product portfolio, um, you know, that that can multiply. It also depends on the purpose. You know, is this truly a selling sheet or is this something meant to educate more deeply? Or is this a, a meatier piece that's meant to again, inspire, educate, that could then be parsed out for right. other content marketing strategies.
0: And and then, and Christy, I'll fire one more and then I'll give some space for you to jump in. Um, ha, did you Have you found that as we've shifted and things are, are shifting back a, a bit to a more virtual selling world with COVID that the marketing game changed?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I'm thinking back to early... COVID, we were working with a brand uh, exactly like what we're describing, moving from retail into food service. And the first food show we helped them set up for was entirely virtual. Um, so in that case, we had we had a chef in his kitchen um, at his home kitchen demonstrating the product. And we had virtual materials to support that. Uh, and then as we've moved into kind of the hybrid space, there's still the need for selling material so that we can equip. Their Salesforce, the broker community, the DSR to tell their story, but also supplementing that on the, the the digital side with demand generation, lead generation tactics that the brand can own.
2: What do you What do you guys do in terms of shows? Do you guys do design of like their booths and stuff like that, or particularly more their like marketing materials?
1: Yeah, the whole whole spectrum. So um, in some cases, we might only be touching the sales collateral itself. Uh, In other cases, we're designing the full booth experience, both in terms of visuals and messaging, but also in the pre, during, and post-show communication. So how can we drive folks to the booth? What are we saying when they're there? How do we pay off the experience from the ads, let's say, and make sure that that's consistent when we're actually selling in person and then what does that follow-up cadence look like what's the communication look like is there a sample request mechanism in place from a lead capture standpoint so yeah it really could be the full spectrum
2: what have you what have you found like you know thinking of that right you're leading up to shows i assume you're kind of referencing probably like email-ish campaigns to kind of push people to your booth is that predominantly what what you're referencing or are there other ways that you found help people successfully drive more people to their booths?
1: Yeah. Leveraging your own email um, database is certainly always a recommendation, but depending on budgets and kind of appetite for growth, we also look at paid placements, let's say in specific trade media or with event specific sponsorships or event specific communications. Oftentimes there's a lot of uh, like e-newsletters that we can tap into and sponsor uh, and if we're let's say we're exhibiting at the pizza expo uh, with a brand or a brand is exhibiting at the at the pizza expo maybe in all of our ads leading up to that we reference the booth number and where to find us so that we can start building that buzz nice the not- layer on that would just be if there's anything we can do to make the the show worthwhile uh, for the attendee. so are we going there just to try the same old product or do we have a new innovation to show or do we have some kind of special feature like a chef demo or something new and interesting that's not just your typical uh, show and tell of a of a product?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When uh, a brand, let's say an experience or a, a brand that has their marketing materials in, in, in place and just looking to level up, what is more often than not like the consistent like, cringe for you that like you see more of not that you're just like, Oh, why is it always this way? <laughs>
1: uh, Man. Trying to do too much. I'd say if I were to put it in a nutshell, I think people tend to want to say everything that they possibly can about the brand or the product in a very small space. And sometimes less can be truly more um, just delivering a clear message and enticing to learn more can can be just as effective. Um yeah. also, you know, photography is a is a big one. I mean the most the more we can use real custom high quality photography versus relying on stock. Uh and, and one more point on that there's these uh, yeah. you'll you'll start seeing them if you look for it, but there's these two guys from a photo shoot. It's all over a shutter stock, but they in most of these companies when they're referencing the food service segment, you see this it's like a chef and an operator. And they're just used over and over again. So it starts to feel very same, same.
2: Yeah, I, I love when people can do really great, like, lifestyle photos with products, right? That, like, really invoke the spirit of what you should be using it for, whether they're like chef driven lifestyle photos or like bringing the product to life in the usage versus a lot of times, like you said, you get these really stocky photos and it's a little, it's painful.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Oh. Data. I I like that data is, makes it more fun for sales. It has less significance in food service than retail. Do you try to incorporate, I know it probably depends the brand, but like, like I find like in food service, once again, I find more fun. Like it's just about sharing the awesome attributes, pulling at the heartstrings with the awesome story. And if it's a, back of house item versus a, a retail item, you know, making them clearly understand what the application is. Do you, do you find that data has its place in, in food service or do you lean more toward for what I said at the beginning?
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it is both. Uh, we definitely find a role for data. So when crafting a compelling sales message, you know, it really, it does depend on what that buyer is most motivated by. And that will vary by segment, whether that's a restaurant versus cNU and U environment and the whole spectrum in between. Um, but let's say we're trying to convince the operator of the profitability or the profit potential of a certain item or the popularity of a certain item or why they should care about stocking uh, an eco-friendly non-food product. That's maybe a giveaway. Why should they care about that? Well, it's because this percentage of your customer base cares about it or this is the number one most profitable menu item because of X, Y, and Z. So baking in that data and telling a number story can be very compelling depending on, again, who we're talking to and what they care about.
2: And it sounds a lot of that maybe is a little bit more like category data. Yes. Right, so like talk, you know, a segment of like, okay, X amount of people are looking for plant-based products or by, you know, those types of data versus maybe as much, you know, with retail, it's always about like completely the product itself and sharing that data
1: right yeah i think that makes sense it's it's uh again sometimes we're trying to convince the operator that this is even something worth paying attention to uh i'll use the example of of a straw we worked with a company to create a brand for a marine biodegradable straw which is a a giveaway for restaurants you know they they're giving away straws with their drinks so why should they pay a premium for something that um It's just being given away. And so that's an area where we bring in data, we bring in insight from consumers to help craft that story to then make a convincing argument that, yes, this is something worth stocking because your customer base cares about it.
0: Interesting. Cool. So, uh, Brand comes to you and they have a certain amount to spend and like where you're the expert what matters the most where should i focus my like everything's average do i level up my pitch deck my sell sheet my website my business cards should business cards be a thing anymore (laughs) um yeah what uh where where what should they level up their email signature or and i guess i don't want to go too much at once but i say email signature what do you think is like sneaky like interesting whether it's your linkedin banner your signature what's something that a lot of people admit this actually might be more interesting like don't think about but it just actually pops and and makes has value
1: i don't know if it's sneaky or not but what i find a lot of brands neglect is actually having a food service presence for uh on their website for their brand yeah. um, especially brands that are moving from retail to food service they Tend to maybe it's an afterthought. Maybe you have a link on the bottom of the page that says "food service" and then it links to food service at you know xyzbrand.com, where really there's an opportunity to tell your story specific to food service. Why should a chef care? Why should a food service director care? Flesh out that content on your site on a landing page, or you know, better yet, ideally on a separate website where the entire experience is dedicated to the food service buyer. Um, so that's I don't know if it's sneaky or not, but something that is certainly neglected. Um a food service requires a dedication and and a real effort to, um, to move the line. Yeah,
2: I love when when brands have an actual like portion even if it's a part of their website but when it's built for food service specifically and it's more than just because you'll see it right where it's like you click on the food service and it's, it's basically the sell sheet mm-hmm. which is fine that's start um but when it's more experiential and especially if it's an ingredient when it really starts to drive like the chef side of it and bring that to life like recipes and how you can use that you know just really provides vibrancy to the brand because most of the time people are going to go to a website of a brand yeah. and if it's all retail driven it sometimes the product may not even look the same right you might get on there and go this it doesn't connect for the buyer and how they would use the product and i've seen a lot more brands lately especially some of the bigger ones really doing a nice job with that like exclusive food service website that you can direct people to and it speaks you know video and all of that comes to life
1: yeah, exactly yeah it- we believe it to be table stakes anymore. And it, it just gives such an advantage because there's not every brand is doing that. So if you want to stand out in food service, put real effort behind your content and behind your message to the food service buyer without relying on the the success that you've had in retail.
0: Yeah. Um last cu- question for a few minutes, shifting gears, uh, you run a service agency. So do I. Um yeah. How do you, you know, you guys have the awesome advantage or difference of being in person. You said like uh, at least one day a week. Yeah, since you've been, over the years you've been doing this, what have you learned just to for to have a healthy, awesome company culture where people care and are driven, get stuff done and feel like they're part of a special mission?
1: That's a great question. Yeah, we... um we're lucky to have a really tight knit group of hardworking folks. I, culture is built over a long period of time. I found there's really no magic bullet, but it's a series of little things and it's it's the team feeling like they own it um, as well. It's nothing that I can dictate. I certainly have my part in it of of helping um move that. But I mean, some tactical things we do. I mean, every Monday morning we do a uh, kind of all team stand up. Here's what's going on this week. Here's who's in, here's who's out. Here are some new business opportunities happening. Here's some active project work that we should all be aware of. Let's also talk about some accolades. Here's who did an awesome job last week. Here's, uh, you know, some kudos, all of that. So really just baking that into the the weekly routine. So we have a moment to reset. How long is that call? Uh, it's a about a half hour, depending. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's also an opportunity for me to just share random memes and gifts and just have a laugh. Um, yeah. So we do that, and that rolls into kind of our weekly priorities meeting, where we just kind of chat about more nitty gritty what's going on on a weekly basis. Um, and then we do things throughout the year, like we have a we love our holiday party, so we do a big gift giving moment, and then get together for dinner and invite everyone's significant others for that so that's always a big milestone in the year and then it's been tougher through covid but we need to get back into it we we were doing a nk mystery day every year so we'd have like a bus would show up and people would block out the calendar bus shows up and then we we get on it we did some amazing things one time we took everyone and it's called uh what is it called um extreme experiences so we went to michigan international speedway and we got to race around the track in like luxury supercars for the afternoon which was just incredible
2: i love the idea of a mystery mystery activity and i know matt does too um when i was a kid my dad called he would call it the mystery bus. we had this big van and then like there would be a random Saturday you'd get woken up at 6am and it'd be like, everybody get aboard the mystery bus for a mystery adventure. So that brings back those memories. And I'm from Michigan too. So a lot of mystery events throughout Michigan. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, it's So much fun. Yeah. And there's just the, the excitement of not knowing. I mean, there's only like two of us that know exactly what we're doing all day. So it just makes it so much fun. I love it.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, where, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you?
1: Yeah. So personally, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Um, check out our website at newhallkline.com. Um, Check out our work. And um, yeah, I'll be at Winter Fancy Food. I'm not sure when this airs, but maybe I'll see some of you there.
2: You'll see me there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> After winter. But uh, all right, cool. Uh, thank you, Tyler. We appreciate it. Thank you both.
0: This was fun.